rather than any regrets that you have now that someone has now just look back on them on your old self with compassion mm. instead of carrying that weight of regret and saying i've made so many mistakes i've done this wrong i've done that wrong actually just look back and think you did the best you were as who you were then and the fact that you can look back with regret and realize you've made a mistake means you have evolved from that person into who you are now Welcome to The Wealth Faculty, Jason Witten here. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you're really doing well. Today's conversation landed for me personally with a lady called Bronnie Ware. She wrote the book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, and we dived into that book today. The fastest translated book in Hay House history, faster than Deepak Chopra, faster than Wayne Dyer. Uh, what an amazing conversation we had peeling through those layers. We went deep. I do hope you enjoy this conversation with Bronnie Ware. Bronnie Ware, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jason. Thank awesome you. Awesome to have you here. And it's been nice to chat to you off air a little bit about our our country beginnings. I know. We're both country kids. Yeah, you're a Tamworth yeah. girl. Yes. Charters yeah. Towers for me. And uh, you know what we've got in common there? What's that? Country it, music. Country music. You, yeah, great. Tamworth number one country music festival, Charters Towers number two country oh, music festival in Australia. Of course, I was actually going to say lack of rain. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably true too. But yeah, country music's much better. Yeah, yeah fantastic. Yeah. Well, for those listeners listening in today, um, I just want to kick off and lay the scene for those listening who don't know of you. Yes. Um, uh, you've writ, uh, written um, a very uh, amazing book, The Five Regrets of the Dying, mm. and um, you were telling me off air that it got rejected by publishers how many times? 25. 25 times. Yes. Did you know what it reminded me of? Um, you know, um, Kentucky Fried Chicken, what's that guy again? Kurt Colonel Sanders. Sanders getting rejected a thousand right. times and then, yeah. you know, he gets the recipe yes. and uh, it sounded like your book like that um, mm. was uh, you self-published the book. Yeah, yeah. After that, I just thought, oh, well, stuff it. I'll, yeah. I'll put it out myself. I was an independent singer-songwriter at the time. Country so- music? Oh, sort of folky country, <laughs> <laughs> crossing over. Yeah, there's a few hillbilly songs in there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and so I put the Five Regrets out independently and then uh, it just kept gaining momentum until eventually my dream publishing house actually came to me and offered me a deal, which yeah. was a really fabulous turn of events. That, and that was Hay House. Yes. Hay House picked the book up um, yeah. and uh, published it for you and it got, yeah. um, if I'm accurate here, it's yeah. the it's the fastest um, uh, re-languaged published yeah, book. Foreign yeah, foreign rights in Hay House history. Yes. History, well, awesome. Yeah, it's in 32 languages. Um, the most recent one is Russia, in Russian. Wow. Um, it's even in Mongolian. And, uh, yeah, is that, that right? It has a movie in the pipeline now. And That is super cool. It's been a heck of a journey. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. And so that's sort of millions of copies of the book worldwide. Um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, what, what a message to send out too, you know. And so for those listening in, can we just sort of have a little look about, you know, how this came about? You were a palliative care nurse yes. for eight-odd years. Yeah, a carer, not a, a nurse. A an, carer. Yeah, okay, unqualified yep. carer. Yeah. Just someone with a lot of heart looking yes. for a living job. Yes. Stumbled into palliative care. And how did you get into that? You were you were sort of working in a job in previous yeah, in a so previous life as a bank teller. Yeah, I was in banking or bank manager. Actually. Bank manager. Yeah. Um, 
I just wanted a job with heart, a job without makeup, without high heels and without a uniform, mm. but mostly a job with heart. Mm. And uh, I'd done the Aussie thing and gone backpacking over to England and then other places from there, and I'd li- done a live-in caring role there. Yeah. But it was more as a companion. I was actually on a farm as well in, okay. in England. For, for someone uh, older? Yes, yeah. And so the family were nearby in another house on the farm, so I was really just a companion who... Yeah. I had to chill out and watch Oprah every afternoon <laughs> with their mom and stuff. And uh, so when I came back to Australia, I went back into banking, but it was just not fulfilling me at mm. all. And I was starting to venture down the creative path with a little bit of writing of quotes and nature photography. And I just, and then I just stumbled into songwriting, which was always really going to happen. It yeah. was in my genes anyway. Yeah. And it was, I was really just looking for something with heart. And I took a live-in job as a carer so that I didn't have to pay any rent so I could focus on my creative stuff. So you'd, you'd yeah. given up the banking world. Yes. You said, that's it, I'm not going to I, do I this just, anymore. Yeah, the pain of it was it just became unbearable. Yeah. And, you know, pain is a good motivator. Yes, and, uh, away from or towards sometimes. That's sometimes right. the yeah. away from is better. Yeah. That's right. And after a few years overseas and then coming back and stepping back into my old life pretty much just in a different town, it was like, okay, well, I'm a different person. Why am I trying to fit back into the same life yes. that I'd left behind? And so, yeah, I just kept doing a lot of work on myself and sending out a lot of prayers for something with heart. And then I took this live-in job thinking it was just a companionship. Mm-hmm. And then my first patient actually became palliative within a short time. She'd been sent home from hospital and they said she could only come home providing she had a carer. And so I was that carer. I was employed through an agency as her carer. Okay. And there weren't many people do, willing to do live-in, so that I got the job so easily. And, uh, yeah, so I, I moved in with her, but she she didn't improve. Her, her health didn't improve. So then the doctors came in and they did more tests and then it became obvious that she was actually dying. And uh, so the family asked would I stay on because her and I had formed an instant connection mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I did and uh, after she died the the agency I was working with said I handled it well, did I want to do more work in palliative? So I said sure, okay, I guess because I I didn't know what that job with heart was going to look yeah, like. Right. So when it presented itself in front of me I figured I wouldn't have been called to it if I couldn't do it. So I just prayed for a lot of strength mm. to get on with it. Mm. I'd only ever seen sheep dying before then yeah, and old cattle. And, uh, yeah, so I that led into eight years of, of looking after dying people. Wow. And, yeah. and and was there a time, there? was there a moment where you realised that this was a calling for you at this point, this was a chapter that you needed to do, or, or was that something that slowly dawned on you? I think it was a slow dawning. Um, I knew I was good at it yeah, uh, in the sense that, the patients were at ease with me straight away. So I knew I had a calming effect on them, especially if they were going through a lot of anguish or fear about having been diagnosed as palliative, you know, terminal, that they were actually dying. So I knew that there was a part of my my nature that was good for them. Uh, But I still saw it for for quite a few years as just something that was funding my singer-songwriting path, Uh even though I hated performing in pubs and I was doing that at the same time. Okay. And going out and doing songwriter nights and open mic nights and and just hated that world of, of pubs and being on stage at ten o'clock at night. Yeah. People watching the boxing on TV or whatever. And 
Um, and so I still just saw it as a, a, a job I loved and that I was good at, but I, I never imagined in a million years that my creative path and that work were actually lining up to come together. I saw mm. it as a very separate part of my life. It was my income and it was work I loved, but my my creative path was the work I was trying to make happen. Yes. And, uh, and then as life as life does. does. <laughs> <laughs> it brought the two together. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one that, you know, a lot of mm. people uh, that I, you know, converse with often um, think that uh, it's like in Hollywood we have this aha moment, you know, everything, you know, you can yes. hear the, the trumpets in the hills and the light, you know, the sun comes out <laughs> and, and whatever. But, yeah. you know, for many people it is that that um, slow but steady burn or build of, right, of something, this is meaningful, or potentially we learn to make a meaning out of it that is actually powerful for ourselves or a bit of a combination of both. Yes. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were chatting um, just before we jumped online that um, or on air that, um, you know, taboo subject, you know, talking about people dying and, and you know, we were talking about the same sort of thing. What What's the things you shouldn't talk about? You know, money, sex, politics, dying, like, these things that they should be talked about, important stuff, and so yes. you know, obviously that sort of bubbled away at you inside. Um, you know, yeah. when did it become obvious that you wanted to share the things that you were learning in in this role? You know, for you. Well, I was keeping a journal all the way through, gotcha. but that was more for my own healing because uh-huh. when you're looking after dying people, you've got to be in the room with them, but they're sleeping most of the time. Yes. So I was either meditating or reading mm-hmm. or writing, yep. and. So I was keeping a journal and I just started seeing a lot of similar themes and that was helping my own life. At that point I hadn't realised it would ever be shared publicly. But there were a couple of patients I had whose regrets were so huge that they actually said, I remember one instance where an elderly man said to me, whatever you do, don't let my mistakes become your mistakes yes. and, and don't let anyone you love have the same mistakes, like share my my mistakes onward. And that was a real turning point for me where I, I sort of thought, okay, I need to speak more about this if only in, t- in my inner circles yes. initially. Yep. And then I, um, when I, I started burning out from the dying people after eight years. I was going to ask about that, yeah. Yeah, I, I started just really, I, I wanted to work where there was some hope. Yeah. And so I managed to secure some funding and set up a songwriting program in a women's jail. And so I started teaching songwriting and guitar in a, in a women's jail. Wow. Yeah, it was it was pretty random actually because I'd never <laughs> been inside a jail or anything like that. It just but I thought there'd be some hope there and I wanted to to align my income with my music. Yes. Which is where I thought I was heading. And uh, and it was through that that's that I was talking I was at a folk festival out at Galgong in New South Wales. Uh, yeah. Galgong Gal Folk yeah. Festival. Yeah, yeah. I played it I played there over New Year and um, an editor of a magazine got chatting to me about the program in the jail and said, write me a story about it and I'll put it in our magazine, just a little folk magazine. Yeah. And so when I wrote that story, I thought, why aren't I writing more? I love writing. I always had pen friends as a kid and uh, and I was really getting tired of slogging it out in the music scene. I was pretty isolated in myself as well at the time. Uh-huh. So it was, it was quite a confronting um, thing to just not talk to anyone for a week and then turn up on stage and play and and uh, yeah it was it was hard but I still did it because my I had this calling to share my message and my own learning yeah. and the message of the dying and so I just thought I'll start a blog and 
didn't know what to write. I even Googled good blog topics and it came up with so many <laughs> ridiculous things that were just so not aligned with my values. And uh, things like, you know, some Hollywood person was wearing purple tights that day, you know, like really yeah. ridiculous that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I just sat there watching the birds fly around and uh, and then I just got this very strong inner guidance, just write what you know. And I thought, okay, well, I know about the regrets of the dying. And so that's what I did. I put it down into a blog and then just kept writing my blog and yeah. letting that evolve. And then about six months later the the blog actually exploded and uh, and it and turned into the book. Went viral. Yeah, because yeah. I realised that it's a subject that has been taboo, mm. but it's a subject that people were ready for. Yeah, and and, uh, yeah. and, and certainly I think, um, you know, the word regret, Yes. You know, is is a very powerful one if we if we use it in the right way because mm. you don't want to have those regrets and and most people cognitively you know th- understand the word but not necessarily drill home actually yes. the action yes uh, around those things and you know the five steps or, or the five regrets um, super powerful um, and um, maybe before we sort of go on through maybe we can just talk about each one for a couple of minutes sure, just um, sure. some realizations in those because yeah. for me certainly right now I was sharing with you you know my father is quite ill and yeah. and um, we're sort of looking after him and, and sort of this is kind of almost timely it was amazing to, to as it the, happens yeah yeah <laughs> as the universe aligns yes, to, to, yeah. to be able to have this conversation with you I really do appreciate it but you know can you just take us through you know these these regrets sort of, sure. you know, start with the first one, you know, yeah. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself and not life others expect of me. Yeah, so that came from all different sorts of angles, mm. but it's um, just people realising that they had let society and their family and the general culture of their country, their friends, their neighbours, the opinions of all, all of those actually affect the way they lived their life instead of living according to how they wanted to live. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was heartbreaking, absolutely heart-wrenching to see the pain and the anguish that people went through when they realised, hang on, I've lived my life according to other people, not according to what I wanted to do, and now my life's over and the only time I get out of bed is if I'm strong enough to hobble to the toilet Mm. and I can't make any of those changes now and... To actually have to find peace with that is a pretty big task when you're Very big, already yeah. dealing with your impending death. Yeah. yeah, and 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 were you having were you having these uh, sort of realizations yourself as as you were, you know, and and how was that affecting your life at the same time? Was there yeah. sort of you know lights going off everywhere for you? Well, I started seeing similar themes, yes. and so I started, and also just witnessing how real that anguish and heartbreak was. Yes. I thought, whoa, I'm not. I'm not going down this road myself. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm definitely going to make sure I live free of regrets. And so I think a, a turning point was when one of my patients, Grace, she uh, she was one of the first who had that regret. Yeah. And she squeezed me. She was only a little tiny lady but really fierce and she squeezed my hand really tight and she just said, promise me, Bronnie, promise this dying woman that you will live a life true to yourself mm. and you won't make this same mistake. Yeah. And she was bawling at the time. I was crying as well and... And I said to her, I promise, Grace, I promise. And so there was sort of that there because of that promise that I was determined to do it anyway. And perhaps at that point I didn't, I probably didn't quite love myself enough or believe in myself enough 
to have made that decision consciously and honoured it um, as much as I would have for, for her. Yes. So because I made that promise to her, it started off that way to start with, like, okay, well, I've made a promise to Grace, but obviously over time it's like, hang on, this isn't about a promise to Grace, this is about treating myself with kindness. Yeah. And actually making sure I don't end up with these regrets myself. And mm, so it just kept giving me more and more courage. And oh, I just, I broke some massive dynamics in my life, just shattered family dynamics and stopped playing games with my own mind and really looked at my worth and some of my detrimental habits. And all, all as a result of that. Wow. Yeah. And would you say, I'm just thinking this as we're sort of having a yarn, would, would yeah. you say, you know, that, um, for me, one of the reasons I want to have my dad with me is because, uh, you know, I don't want him to have to go to somewhere else for care, you know, in those last times. Yes. Uh, and, and it's a difficult choice. It's, it's hard either way. And mm-hmm. would you say that, um, you know, potentially some of those lessons that are, that are maybe meant to be passed on at this time for, for us in a, as a social, as a society, maybe, you know, because we have the, I don't want to say it the easy option, I, and I don't think it's the easy option. I, I don't want to say that as the word, but an option that is not the maybe the the harder one. Mm. That sometimes we're missing out on some 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 wisdom or something that is to be passed on at at, at so certain times. Are you meaning alternatively to put them into care and yeah. actually have them at home and be yeah. with them through the whole process? Yeah, yeah. What what would your sort of view on that be? Oh, yeah. it's it's so beneficial to our growth and to the fam and the love of the family yeah. and to yeah. or the love of friends or whatever. It is so beneficial to be with someone right through their dying process mm. rather than just shut the door on it. Yeah. It's really scary for dying people to just be isolated yes. and, and without family or without loved ones, without people they love. But more so, yeah, as a culture, we're just sweeping death putting it behind curtains and yes. sweeping it under the carpet. And it's like, well, we're going to die about time we started talking about and it's this. It's part of life, right? It's, it's, the, it's the circle of life. Yes, it is, yeah. yeah. And the more that we can bring it out into the open, the more we realise how sacred our time actually is. Beautiful. So rather than living through life in denial, like one day I'll do this, one day I'll do that, yeah. one day I'll do that, yeah. instead it's like, Holy dooly, okay, every single day I wake up is one day less of my life. Yes. The clock is ticking, but rather than see that as as shocking or crippling, see it as empowering, like, okay, my time is valuable, I'm going to stop all this nonsense and stop living for other people. Yes. I'm going to start realising my heart is telling me to do this, I'm going to find the courage to do it and I'm just going to do it because... I don't want to be lying on my deathbed with regrets. Yeah. And I'm witnessing my, like in your case, I'm witnessing my dad dying. I'm getting a bit of a feel of what it's like to be dying. If I put myself in that position, okay, am I going to be peaceful when I'm lying there? Yeah. And if if you're heading in the right direction, yeah, okay, I'm I'm doing fine. If you're not, like if you're exposed to death more and more, you're going to imagine your own death and think, oh, okay, Time to find some courage and actually step into a different direction. Certainly, yeah. What an amazing, what an amazing gift at that point. Yes, yeah. 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 Um, and number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And yes. and uh, one of the things in there you're saying this came from every male patient you it were did, with. It yeah. did. It did. And I mean, this is also um, a generation where a lot of the women didn't work full time. Yes, I understand. So okay. I'm sure that it would apply to both. Yeah. These days. I actually got slammed massively in the Financial Times in London for that. Really? Uh, for that quote. And it's like, oh, 
oh, don't shoot the messenger here, mate. Like I'm not. Yeah. I'm not the one. I didn't make this stuff up. Yeah. I actually witnessed the pain of it. Yes. So what it was was people, real, men realising, but people realising that that they had allowed their identity around their work to become everything. Mm-hmm. And so when their work was taken away from them, they really had no communication. Yeah, who are they? Like yeah. no sense of self, no communication channels with their their families, no permission from themselves to actually go out and have a good time yeah. or no networks to have a good time with. And, you know, it's it's all well and good to love your work. I love my work. And it's not about not loving your work. It's about leaving some space for other areas. So if your work is taken away from you, you still actually have – a fulfilling life. Yeah. Without it, I mean, look at this year with with how many people have lost their identity through their work because of COVID and everything yes. else, and <clears throat> and the carpet's been pulled out. But if you've got other areas that you've been focusing on in wellness or socially or relationships, whatever, yeah, then there's still you don't lose everything. You don't no. lose your whole sense of self, and that was really painful for a lot of people, a lot of people. after because. Yep. Once they were too sick to work, it's like, well, who am I? Yeah. What have I got left? Who am I now? Yeah, and and there is a a, a disturbing statistic um, that uh, you know men retire and they they on average die like six years after yeah. they they stop working. And that's why. Yeah, and yeah. Um, you know who am I? What do I do? Mm. Our good friend Marcus Pierce has got some very interesting com- conversations around. <laughs> yes. You know, um, that hundred one hundred. Um, not out um, podcast that he does and about yeah. the oldest people in the world and, you know. They were so having fun. They weren't working all the time. Having fun and yeah. having, you know, and, and having fun with, with great people around them relationships. That's right. Mm. That's right. Well, we can all learn from Mark. Absolutely. We yeah. love him. We love him. Um, so, yeah, listen, that, and that one lands for me, you know, certainly certainly my dad, you know, physical hard worker his whole entire mm. life. He, he never he, he never graduated school. He didn't even go to primary school and, and, you know, his whole body on the line for his, his life and his family and and certainly, you know, I see him, see him now he's struggling with that and, you know, that sort of lands for me. And yes. and, and I think, you know, and that's one of the reasons I, I wanted my parents to be with me um, when I've got kids because, you know, to have – I had my nan and my pop quite close, like we lived literally around the corner in a small town. Um, so so that was, that was a, a gift, I think, when I look yeah. back and – and it I, is. I believe it's a gift now for my kids as well yes. and also myself. So, mm. you know, even though, even though I'm going to have a chat with him, but I think there's a few things we've got to have a chat about before, uh, before, it's, too before late. it's too late. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm inspired. Even if it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, people find, find courage to talk about some yes. hard topics when they know yeah. that they're probably, it's, it's probably one of the greatest acts of love they can do yes. is to have those conversations with yeah. you. And, and, yeah. And, and, you know, I've been talking to people about money for 20 years oh. and, you know, is there, there has not been a conversation that I've had with a genuine human that, that hasn't said, I, I would like a bit more money because I want to look after the people that yes. I love, yeah. you know, and, yeah. you know, it's, it's so powerful and um, whichever way you come at that, you know, mm. um, it, sometimes you've got to sort of balance it out, you know. Yes, money is important, but, you know, the time and the relationships you have um, probably trump that a little bit more than, you know, being at the office or working hard all the time. Yeah, you sure. Know? Yeah, it's yeah, finding yeah. that. Yeah. And I don't finding know that, that it, balance point. Yeah. Or, it's probably it's a, not a thing. I don't know if balance is actually a thing. So sometimes you got I, I think I was actually chatting the other day, sometimes you've got to be out of balance and know you're out of balance, yes, but, you're, but yeah. you're happy to go back the other way well, at some point. You know? That's exactly right. I was going to say exactly the same. I don't think there's ever a point where you say, 
oh, that's balanced and now I can live happily ever after. It's it's so fluid. and yes. But it's all always checking back in and saying, oh, hang on, I am out of balance. Let me get The get consciousness back. of yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. mindfulness. Yeah. yeah, very powerful. And then number three, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings, you mm. know. Is that, was that again a, a male thing or was it, it was across both. the board? It really? Was okay. And it came from two different angles though. Okay. Um, a lot of different people but yes. from two main angles. Yes. One was I, I guess where you're thinking the male um, exp- lack of expression yeah. where uh, there were patients who wished they'd had the open communication with their family so they there was there was one elderly man I looked after. He was in his nineties. I think he was ninety one or ninety two, and he couldn't even tell his family he was proud of them or his kids he was proud of them, mm. or speak about so many important things that he wanted to. It just felt like too much effort for him uh-huh. to find a way to open the conversation. And so there were those sort of things where people wanted to be able to say I love you or like share feelings of endearment, yeah. but there were also the other side of the coin. Um, there was also the other side of the coin where people were saying, I wish I'd expressed my feelings and stood up for myself. Yes. In, in own, you know, self-care and self-love, in saying I wish I hadn't let that person dominate me so much. I wish I had expressed my feelings and said I can't put up with this or I don't like the way you've treated me all my life or whatever. So the regret came from different angles there and both equally painful and powerful. Yes, very powerful. And, you know, what, what a message. Uh, I think uh, um, I, I read a quote the other day, sort of you, you get to 50 and then it's the, you know, I don't care. Yes. Decade, you know I what I mean? Know, well, it's wonderful. Well, yeah. I'm in my 50s. So I can easily say I agree with yeah. that one. I don't care what you think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. so freeing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's kind of nice maybe to uh, try and bring that, that uh, time frame a, a bit sooner. Yeah. yeah. And absolutely. it is possible. Yes. It is by facing the fact that your time is limited. Mm. And are you living it the way you want to or are you living it for someone else? For someone else, yeah. yeah. Like, like unbelievably powerful. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. I'm, mm. I'm quite guilty of this one. Yeah. Well, this is before social media, so yes. perhaps that that won't be quite so strong in years to come. I don't know. Mm. Uh, but what it was was when people are dying, they want to live until they're dead and a lot of them really wanted to reminisce about the good old days and have reflections and giggles and yeah. laughter and stuff. And often the family is in a bit of a state of grief even before the person dying. And yes. so they're already feeling the guilt of the pain their their impending death is causing their adult children or their grandkids and stuff. And so rather than always be in that mode of being the parent caretaker worried about the family going through their emotional pain, when friends are there, they can actually just be an individual, yes. not a parent. Yes. And so then they get to have those funny stories and the reminiscing and and there's not the the guilt of dying or, or the concern for the family. It's yeah. just it brings friends bring so much joy to dying people and sometimes quite often people couldn't find those friends that they were craving to see mm-hmm. just before they died. And so there were really awful heartbreaking scenes where people are saying if I could have only reached her or if I could have only found him to say goodbye or share a story or whatever. Yeah. And just having to accept that there was absolutely nothing they could do because in, in, I share a story in there where there were times when I've tried to find people and sometimes I was successful and sometimes I wasn't. And this is going back through the white pages and 
the electoral roll and mm. things like that, ah. like manually going going into, you know, the post office and searching through the, the big white Sydney white pages <laughs> and stuff like that for them. Yeah. So, um, it, and it was awful just knowing, okay, well, that person's actually already died yeah. or that person mm, may or may not be alive but I've got no idea where they are and... Yeah, it's um, friends are really important at that time of life. Yeah, and, and at any time. Of life. I was going to say at any time, and and you know, just sort of sitting here, one of the things you know, being a you know, a, a quote unquote busy person, you yes. know, yeah, I, I don't have time for that mm. or whatever it might be, and I'm I'm quite sure, you know, um, a lot of people look back and say, well, you know. I should have paid. I should have made a little bit of time, or maybe the time that you spend somewhere is like you know, probably that was not very good time invested in that sort of activity yeah. or somewhere else. Yeah, like is half an hour on Facebook, scrolling on Facebook or Instagram or something, really as rewarding as instead of sending someone a text saying I'm thinking of you, mate. Actually, just picking up the phone and saying just a quick call, been thinking of you. Yeah. What's going on in your life? Yeah. Half an hour later, you've hung up. You're both full and happy. And, you know, your um, screen time review for the week goes down. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> You're winning in reverse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. And then the fifth one, I, I wish I'd let myself be happier. Mm. What was that one about? Well, it was people realising that it's a choice, that right. even though life is hard, that so, – so there are a couple of angles again, Jason. So sometimes it was because – people's self-worth was shaped by the opinions of others. Got you. So they didn't believe they deserved a happy life and a good life or to be happy. So they let the power and the opinions of other people shape their sense of self. Uh-huh. And so they didn't choose happiness because they, on, on many levels, they didn't believe they deserved it. But then on the other side, the choosing happiness, it, I had some beautiful conversations around this where people realised that, There'll always be challenges and we'll always make mistakes. That's how, how we learn as humans. We yes. make mistakes. But even on in, in between all the hard stuff, you can still choose to focus on something else for a moment or for a day. Or So if you're going through the worst time ever and then you say, actually, I'm going to step out of this. I don't know. I haven't found my solution yet. I'm not going to work on it full on today because I'm just banging my head against a wall and it's it's drowning me. You know, I'm, I'm drowning in all of this. I don't know what to do. I'm scared, but I'm going to just take a day off. I'm going to choose happiness today. I'm going to just go and have a day off doing something nice for myself. And that problem will still be waiting for me tomorrow. I'll come back to it tomorrow. And so it's those sort of things, just choosing. And you come back to it tomorrow and you've got a clearer head and you haven't wasted a day of your life in treading water again in a problem that you you haven't found a solution for yet. Yeah. And so it's just realising that that you can't be happy all the time, but if you're in amongst a hard time or a sad time, can you stop and actually look at the sky Mm. for one minute and think, oh, look at that, you know, Beautiful. I live where, where this, the sky's so clean it's still blue yeah. or I've, you know, I can hear someone laughing, isn't that nice that someone in the world's happy or, you know, I, I don't have to walk a kilometre, a mile with a bucket on my head to get some fresh water. Yes. Stuff like that. And and so it's just they're small things but they have a huge amount of power and this is what my patients were realising that, Oh my goodness! I was so focused on 
the challenges and the hard stuff or um, the goals and everything else that I didn't actually stop sometimes and choose happiness in that moment. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But powerful five. Yes. Powerful five. And, I and who'd have thought. Yeah, <laughs> and, and for anyone at any time to yes. just, just to think about and, you know, and, and, and do those things. It, what what would you say, what advice would you give to, let's say, me? Okay. Or the families of people who are in that um, zone in their life. It's, you know, it's the, the last chapter. It's, the, it's the, the final song. It might be a year, a month, a day, whatever it is. What would you say to those people how, you know, how they can, um, you know, do something, you know, let it go, be something, act like, like what would of advice would you give to the families and the friends surrounding that person? I mean... Well, I'd say that um, that listening is probably one of the biggest gifts you can give. Mm. Um, try not to solve too many of their problems uh-huh. um, because people still want to feel alive and capable yes. for as long as they can. Yes. And try, you know, you want to be honest and have your have those big conversations, but maybe try not to bring too much grief onto of your grief onto them beforehand. Yes. I mean certainly let your feelings out. Let them see that you're sad and you're going to you're going to say with your dad, let him see you cry. That's mm. I'm not saying that at all, but what I'm saying is let him also see the the regular part of you because they're they're dealing with their own head and heart all the time. They're dealing with the fact that they're going to die, and day to day stuff is really nice for them. Just yeah. to feel that they're still living and yeah. and hearing that life is going on, and you know what you do today. And yeah. so don't feel embarrassed that you're still alive and they're dying, and mm. be able to have and just bring them up to date on what's going out on outside of there. Their, their deathbed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they probably feel also, a bit isolated. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But include them in that sort of thing. But also um, be a listener. That's that's a really big, a, a really great gift you can give to people. Yeah. In any time. Yeah, totally. Mm. Take some time and listen. Yes. Hang out. Yeah. Good advice. I'm going to take some. Play cards or something, <laughs> they, they, something they like to something do. Something they love to do. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, fantastic, powerful messages there, and I'm, I'm sure people listening in would be, you know, really sort of taking something on board. I am certainly I right now, so, that's for yeah. sure. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, you know, your your um, blog went viral, your your book went viral, um, and uh, this all sort of started to happen at a, a pretty pivotal time in your life as well, <laughs> wasn't it? You know, so yeah, it's funny how, how what timing the, is. the universe sends you a bunch of stuff to sort of handle. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, the blog was taking off, and every time people ask could they share it, I said yes, as long as you include my the link to my book in it. So then the book started taking off, and then the week I was due, so I, I became a late in life mum. I was very blessed to conceive naturally and quickly at 44. I'd never been a mum before. Wow. And yeah. And so I was 45 when she was due. And, um, and then in the week leading into my daughter's birth, the book just took off crazily. The week before? Yes. Yeah. Wow, okay. In that week. There and you go. The Guardian in the UK mentioned it and, yeah. uh, and it just went from there. Crazy. And, uh, yeah, so I was actually doing lots of interviews and then it took off even more in the last 24 hours before my daughter was born. So by then I was in hospital and I was in labour and I was doing interviews while I was in labour. Really? Yeah, <laughs> and it was just horrific. It was 
you know, it was sort of exciting, but uh, but I really didn't care about my work at that point. So I knew I'd never have another chance ever to be a mum. I was 45. And I wanted to be really fully present for my daughter. Yes. And, uh, you know, I'm doing interviews and I'm, I'm speaking and actually I had to, I'm on the phone, I actually had to say, can you just hold on a moment, please? And the guy's like, yeah, okay. And, and I've just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> In the middle of labour. Yeah. Uh. And then I've just come back. Uh, sorry, what were you saying? You know, and I've gone on like that and and it was just crazy, absolutely crazy. And the staff at the hospital were getting a bit impatient with me, like, you've got to put the computer away and, and all these email interviews are coming in. So I'm thinking, I'll just get this out of the way because once the baby's here, I won't have time. And Yeah. And so it was about 11 o'clock at night and I closed the computer and uh, turned off the phone and just said an, out a very strong prayer and said, send me help now. Yeah. It had taken me 14 years to become an overnight success yes. in terms of trying to get my creative work paying for itself. And, uh, yeah, and I was ready to quit because I thought I, I it's more important for me to be a mum and to be present as yeah. a mum. yeah. And uh, but then you know my daughter was born and uh, and I still did another interview or two almost straight after birth on emails and then uh, within 24 hours of her being born Hay House rang me and uh, offered me a publishing Take deal the book up. and uh, and I just said uh, yeah sure sure but I've, I've got to go you know my baby's crying I'll, it's a yes but I've, but I'll call you back my baby's <laughs> crying. And he said, oh, how old's your baby? So I just had her. I just had her, you know. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was, it was incredible to, to. Surreal. Yes. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, thank you. So when I got out of there, I had all these emails that had been sent about inquiring about foreign rights. And I'd been, you know, just putting them in a folder, not knowing. And so I just sent them all straight off to Hay House and they looked after everything. Fabulous. Yes. yes. That's good. Pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's it's um, one of the parts of, you know, the, the two functions of the Wealth Faculty, the podcast, yes. um, is the people that you surround yourself with. And obviously Hay, Hay, Hay House has been great for you with that mm. stuff, which is like, you know, being able to like, I've got a team. Can you take care of things? Yes. You know, help me, help me with my uh, my book and my distribution. Oh, you know, having just... the right people on your team is important. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it's it's everything. Yes, it really is everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And then shortly after that, you know, um, becoming a mum for the first time, you you had um, some health issues yourself, rheumatoid arthritis. Yes. Yeah. And um, you know, sort of the highs and lows of this oh, thing. Oh you my know. goodness! It arrived at the same time, more or less. Once Literally. I got out of the hospital, right. I just started getting some aches and. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, so then I started off on this journey and things hadn't worked out with my my daughter's dad, so I ended up being a single mum, 45, newborn baby, my work skyrocketing. I was doing interviews right, you know, back to back through the night in other time zones yeah. and, and everything and uh, and then rheumatoid arthritis on top. And when that first kicks in, it's, it's pretty much like your hands and wrists and your ankles and feet uh, in boiling vat, uh, vats of boiling oil, Ooh. like that's sort of the intensity of the fire inside of them, and it was just overwhelming. As you know, I don't even, I don't know how I how I survived or functioned during that time. But it really taught me a lot about self kindness and yeah. boundaries yeah. and surrender. Um, learning to surrender my old self and that I was I was fit and strong even when I was three months pregnant and things had, had dissolved with, with my partner. I moved half the furniture on my own. I 
stuck it into a van and onto a trailer. I was walking a fridge. A bit, bit, bit of your country upbringing. That's right, that. yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 N- none of this, oh, you know, okay, how about you be kind to yourself and reach out and ask for some help. Yes. And so that taught me all of that. It taught me that we need support systems, whether we're well or, or sick, we need support systems to stay um, managing our life in a way that's actually kind to ourselves. Yes. And so over time I was pretty much forced to surrender into those lessons. But I've come to realise that the biggest challenges we get are given to us from a place of love to bring mm. us into our best self. Yeah. They're not actually there to cripple us and curse us and um, they're actually there to break the old patterns that don't support us, the, the patterns of walls around us and um, expecting too much of ourselves. and. Yeah. Yeah, it's just taught me self kindness on levels I never could have grasped well, it was, any other it, way. It sounded so. like it was it was intense in a short period of time. These sort of you know opportunities for growth and and yes. um, personal uh, personal <laughs> development very been, very quickly. Yeah, I was being cracked open, but I'd done so much work up until that point. You were ready. I guess Maybe. I was. Yeah. Life, life just figured I was. I guess yeah. and. I came out the other side with such a, a freedom of, of not caring what other people think and uh, really healthy boundaries but not in a defensive way but actually not in like defensive to other people but loving to myself to say, no, sorry, I don't actually work on that day or no, I'm, I'm full and I gave up the word busy and just started saying full yeah. because part of being full means meant for me to leave space to do the things I love as well. Mm. Yeah. And, I, and I suppose... Just thinking about it, like you know, it it, it could be. Um, sorry, you good. Yes, yeah, no. <laughs> just, just going down the side. Bit sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. No, no worries. Well, you know, just thinking to me, you know, it could be quite easily, you know, the the five top tips for the living as well. It, it you know, in you know, before you get to regret, yes, to regret them while you're dying. Yes, it's, it's sort of almost, um, you know, you could you could put it at the front there too, in in that sort of way for for a lot of people, and you know, think about life in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and use it as a, like use death as a tool for living. Yes, and then say, okay, well, there's there's some pretty big wisdom in these five bullet points. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, in, in the book, I elaborate on the, the more stories that came from you know from where those five points originated from. But, yep. yeah, absolutely, it's for living. It's it's These regrets are here to teach us how to live, not just to how to, how to die in peace but uh, to die free of regrets but to actually live, um, to live well. Live well. And then, yeah. you know, your first book was um, a success and then you've written two more after that, which was mm. some stories, 54 stories, 52, uh, 52. stories. 52. Well, 52. initially it was going to be 50, but um, 50 Shades of Grey was coming out at the time. <laughs> you didn't want to get confused <laughs> so with that one. my publisher said, let's just stay clear of 50. <laughs> and so I said, okay, well, let's make it one for one a week for 52 weeks. Yes. So that's why it's called Your Year for Change. And that was written Love at it. a time when I was going through all that with my health and I, I was really only capable of writing short stories. And so I sent it out as like the middle child, off you go, find your own way in the world, I can't really help you here. But funnily enough, it, it turned out to be the favourite of some of my readers and only last week I, I do a little bit of mentoring and last week um, a client I was mentoring said he uses that like the Tao Te Ching, that he 
no matter what day he opens it, he finds the answer he's looking for. Great. So uh-huh. that was really nice feedback because I, the poor book, it just was like, off you go, honey. Yeah, I'm a middle yeah. child, so <laughs> yeah. I get the middle child like, thing. Like, off you go. I'm too busy now to deal with you. They get the least attention. That's you know, right. Yeah, find yeah. your way. Find your own way. Yes. Yeah. 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 My, my, daughter's, my daughter laments in that way all the time. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the middle kids turn out fine. They turn yeah. out well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and your, your book, Bloom. Um, and, you know, so, yeah, Bloom's a... A tale of courage, surrender, and breaking through upper limits, which yeah. is sort of the journey, not only through my health but some other challenges I was going through at the time, and and it just teaches you how how freeing that surrender is, and that we actually need an awful lot of courage to surrender. Mm. We need more courage to surrender than we do to act. Often, yes, yeah, to actually let go because surrendering is letting go of control and saying. I don't know what to do next and I'm going to stop wasting my energy trying to force a solution when I've already given it my best. Yeah. And so instead I'm at a point now where I'm actually going to say I'll hand it over to life and yeah. Um, yeah. and trust where it's going to take me. And it's so incredibly freeing when you actually master that. Beautiful. Yeah, it just lets your life flow in different ways. There's an energy, whatever your belief system is, there's an energy and, and a flow you can tap into. Yes. You but, co-create your your world. And it's like life finally says, it takes a huge um, sigh of relief and says, oh, thank goodness, now I can actually help you. <laughs> you know, you've stopped trying to control every step of the way. Okay, here's some shortcuts. Stop hanging on so tight. Yes, stop yeah. hang- exactly, Jason. Yeah. Stop hanging on so tight. Yeah. 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 I love it. It's a uh, it's it's a uh, it's a fantastic one, and you know, um, you know, what would you say for some now who who might be in the midst of, you know, uh, listening to this and going, oh, gee, this is landing for me. You know, there there might be some grits. There might be some of this might be landing a bit close to home. I don't want to know what 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 uh, encouragement would you give them right now? Maybe as a a kind starting place to sort of. You know, okay. Discover and be brave, and and have the courage to maybe. Well, I think um, shifting your perspective on regrets. Mm. So rather than any regrets that you have now that someone has now, just look back on them on your old self with compassion, mm. instead of carrying that weight of regret and saying I've made so many mistakes, I've done this wrong, I've done that wrong. Actually, just look back and think you did the best you were as who you were then. And the fact that you can look back with regret and realise you've made a mistake means you have evolved from that person into who you are now. Yes. So let the person you are now look back on your old self with loving compassion and say, it's okay, I'm, I'm, I've learnt from this, I'm not going to keep persecuting myself over this or persecuting my old self. And so heal the old regrets through compassion. But then the, anything moving forward... Rather than see things as regrets, just see them as mistakes because all regrets are mistakes, but not all mistakes are regrets. Mm. And the only difference is, so the only difference is our perception of it. Mm. So we can look back on something. As, we're all going to make plenty of mistakes from now to when we die, all Certainly. of us, yeah. and that's how we learn. So we, if we make the mistakes and then have compassion for our humanity and just say, okay, well, I'm human, I've made a mistake, I've stuffed up, I'm going to try and do better next time, then it's just a mistake. But if it's like, 
oh, I made a mistake. I'm never going to forgive myself. Oh, my God, I wish I hadn't done that. And then five years' time, oh, my life is crap because I because I made that mistake back then, da-da-da. You're still carrying it and it just gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And all it is is your own judgment on a mistake you made. Yes. And so that's why I say that all regrets are mistakes because they've all come from a mistake but they've only turned into a regret because of our judgment on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So all mistakes don't have to become regrets. They're just mistakes. They're, they're being human. They're learning. That's that's part of Le- learn yeah. to Learn to appreciate them for the lessons that they are. Yes, and, and be kind to ourselves and just say, okay, well, maybe I could do better today, but on as who I was in that moment, on that day, that was the best I could do mm. in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something I know that uh, many people uh, – would uh, would appreciate understanding that you know, including myself. That's for sure. We can yeah. all learn to be. We could all learn. Yeah. yeah, to ourselves. Yeah, be kind. Um, you know, love and be kind. Seek to understand and and uh, you know, take it from there. Maybe, huh? It takes you a long way. Yes, yes. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So part of my world is is helping people with you know, um, creating wealth and yes. and money and stuff like that. And we were talking as we as we just jumped on air about some of the people that you were taking care of you know, um, had, um, had some money, mm. you know, and, um, it, it was something that was of interest to you. And we were sort of talking about it, about, you know, taboo subjects and, and the people with money talked about money yes. um, all the time. And, um, you know, could just shed some light on, you know, some of those sort of observations and maybe lessons in and around money and, and, sure. and those times is life. Yeah. Well, the people I was looking after were people who had the money to get a private carer in and go home to die. Mm. So they weren't in the public system in an uncomfortable hospital bed. Um, they, they'd gone home and made that choice because they could financially. Yes. They'd built, built their wealth and they could actually say, okay, well, home is where I want to be. Yes. But what I started noticing was that, all of the people who came to visit, um, or not all the people, but a lot of the people and a lot of the conversations they had with, with the dying people were about money. Mm. And um, and they just talked freely. Like uh, what I was saying earlier about how dying people want to stay living, some of them would say that people would come in and they'd say, well, what's going on with these, you know, with the market today or what's going on? Uh-huh. And so even though they weren't in that position to be investing themselves by then, they were in their last weeks, they still wanted to know what was going on outside. And so I was an ear in the background to all of these amazing conversations. And I remember one, uh, it was in East Melbourne and a conversation between this woman and, and her male visitor. And she said, what are all those people without superannuation going to do, like without money? Yeah. How are they going to live? How are they going to live on the pension? How do they think they can actually do this without saving money now and investing? Mm. Like, and, and I was just in the background cleaning in the kitchen or something and I thought, I love that wealthy people speak about money. Yes. And it wasn't long after that that one of my best mates said to me, how are we ever going to get, like, how am I ever going to get rich if no one talks about it? Uh-huh. How, how do we improve our money if no one talks about it? So and true. I said, well, wealthy people talk about it. That's what I'm observing. And so from then on, I used to just be really courageous and ask questions, even from my dying patients. I'd say, how do you invest your money? Yes. And one of them said, buy Buy commercial warehouses. That's all I deal with. Don't buy anything else, just commercial warehouses. Love it. She said, you put it in, you fit it out, and that's it. 20-year lease. I mean, obviously, this is a different time that we're in now, but 
She she was so happy to tell me, and so I used to ask all of them, Fantastic. where do you invest your money and how do you invest your money and what are some of the mistakes you made on your money? And so by speaking about money, it helped me heal my own money story, which yes. certainly needed a lot of healing. And, yeah, we need to t- speak about money in in the positive way it is because it, money gives you choices. It's, it does, yeah. It just increases your your choices and freedom in life on oh, phenomenally mm. yeah yeah it's 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 good it's good to sort of hear that you know echoed you know from your experiences and certainly from my own you yes. know it it uh, it's a, again another freeing thing when you talk about the things that you potentially might be awkward or nervous or taboo or whatever and you get them out in a very healthy way mm. you know then you start to be able to you know heal some challenges that you might have of your own or grow yes. an understanding or Mm. You know, really come to appreciate things that you 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 may or may not do, but it it, it again, it's able to be talked about without yeah embarrassment it, or that's right. weirdness or whatever. And it becomes your language then, so it's yes. not a disconnect either. Yes. It's not like this other world that oh, I don't know anything about that. Hence, why you don't have it flowing in your life. Mm. But you actually strengthen the connection with it. Yeah, mm. super powerful. I think um, you know, for me. That's probably one of the things that I've spent, you know, a good twenty years encouraging people to to talk about, which is, you know, hey, you know, money's an important thing. Yes. It's, um, I think there's a, a Zig Ziglar quote. I don't know if you know Zig yeah, Ziglar. He's okay. like, you know, money's not everything, but it sure ranks up there pretty close yeah. to oxygen. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's pretty yeah. hard to live without it. And um, you know, oh, yeah. um, uh, well, it well, you shouldn't let it take over and, and um, you know, dominate your life, it it, it, it needs some attention. It you know? absolutely does. Yeah. I mean, it's good for your well-being as yes. well because if you don't have it, you're, you're creating stress in your body mm. and other things like that as well. Yeah. And, you know, and what's landing for me right now, I just feel this in my, my, my gut right now, is that, you know, I, I get to because of the money and the wealth that I've created and many people um, who, who do that, I, I get to help my dad you know, maybe have the best last moments mm. of his life. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And it's it's powerful. And, you know, a lot, lot of people, you know, might might say, you know, money has these other connotations. But, you know, for me, it's about what you can help others with, you mm. know, and, and resources are pretty useful for changing shitty circumstances sometimes. Yes, yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, also just to enjoy nature and stuff, you look at where – the wealthiest people live. They've all got the best views or the best settings. I mean, that's that's not um, greed. That's actually because they they can mm. and because it's great for their well being and yeah. that sort of thing. So, yeah. oh, there's so many positives. It's just not making it um, instead of love. You know, yes. like bring it in and as a positive energy that can enhance love and and that includes your own own sense of self and self love. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful, powerful conversations, you know. Um, now, was there any tips for for those who said, you know, this is how you get off the merry-go-round? You know, you talked about regrets of, you know, mm. you know, you know, not um, you know working too much or you know not spending enough time with friends or prioritizing relationships or whatever. You know, what what you know what what did they say about? Okay, well, this was the regret, but here's how I might have. Yeah. Fixed that or dealt with it or? A lot of that I've sort of found through my own 
implementation of their yes. of making sure I haven't regret, didn't, didn't have that those I don't regrets. go down that yeah that road. yeah so there were uh, tips from from the people with regrets in the sense of don't let this mistake be the same and and uh, you know make sure you you're more courageous and everything yes. else but I've just found that it's a step-by-step process and so rather than think too far ahead all the time yeah you know planning is great but a, a pivotal time, a moment for me was when I once I was sitting in the traffic lights in, in Bondi and it said, I, I looked across and in the window of an art studio, it said, plans make God laugh. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, oh, I like that. And so I think it's important to have plans and certainly it's important to have goals. Yes. But, and goals and dreams, but be, but be flexible in how to get there because often people will sabotage themselves by thinking so far ahead and getting scared of the, the, the vision they have and the dream, yeah. getting scared of how they're actually going to get there and all these imagined fears come in, but then I'd have to do this, then I'll have to do that. I don't know about this. Where would I find someone who could teach me this? Rather than all of that, in, in implementing all the changes in my own life to make sure that it is absolutely regret-free and that I'm living my fullest life in uh, unison with my heart is that I do it as a step-by-step process and trusting that the next step will reveal itself as I need yes. and the next person I need to meet will come. And that's where the power of surrender is also very handy yes. because I've tried and tested it and I know that as long as we keep working towards our goals and not losing sight of our dreams but have some flexibility in how to get there, then life does breathe that sigh of relief and say, oh, I'm so glad you're getting out of the way so I can help you here. Yeah. Yeah, be excited about the journey of it as well. Yes, be yeah. present for it. Yeah, and, beautiful. And, and with that trust does come presence where you're, you're not just always chasing but you're actually there for your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. beautiful. It's mm. been fantastic to chat with you, Bronnie. I always ask this question of my guests and okay. it's the final one for today, but what's the true meaning of, of wealth to you? Uh, choice, yeah, freedom of choice. Freedom of choice. Yes, yeah. Um, that's probably actually, sorry, that's probably what wealth brings mm. is freedom of choice. Wealth is is to live a life that's true to your own heart and do it in a loving way for the world. You know, that's that's a pretty good example, I think. Beautiful. Ronnie yeah. Ware, thanks for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure, Jason. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, thanks for joining us on The Wealth Faculty. Hope you enjoyed Make sure you subscribe where all good podcasts are found. You can find us there. And if you want to watch it, you can subscribe on YouTube, Positive Mentor TV. And until the next episode, take care. Bye for now.